Welcome to another edition of Maverick University. I'm your host, David Hallberg. Joining me today is Dr. Ken Anderson. Uh, Dr. Anderson is a member of the faculty at Providence Baptist College and teaches our personal finance and church finances courses, among other uh, courses as well. Brother Anderson has a history in uh, finance in the secular world and insurance, but also uh, has helped at Northwest Bible Baptist Church as associate pastor for many years uh, and is considered uh, by many to be a great uh, resource uh, for financial information. So Brother Anderson, we're going to be continuing our conversation. Sure. We were talking about more personal finance that could be applied to anybody in particular, uh, but we were focusing on college students. But now we're going to uh, shift a little bit to a more specific group sure. here. We're talking about ordained ministers and the compensation peculiarities, yes, exactly. as you put it. Yep. Um, and so I'll just tee you up here for just a second sure. and just kind of, you know, give an overview of what that even means. What is so peculiar about a minister's income? Well, it's the fact that they're ordained. Correct. And as an ordained minister, you are working for the church. The church is paying you. Um, and so in the eyes of the IRS... Uh, the federal government, your federal income tax, you are considered an employee Correct. of the church. Correct. But the Social Security Administration views you as self-employed. Correct. So as a pastor, you're self-employed? Yes. Do you work for the church? Yes. <laughs> so obviously there are some wacky tax things that happen and there's some unique things Correct. that pastors need to be aware of when it right. comes to their own paycheck, their compensation for things. Sure. So I'll I'll kick it off. What are some of the things that Pastors need to be aware, okay. or even youth pastors, and, assistant pastors. Yeah, and let's clarify. When you're ordained and do ministerial work, mm -hmm. that's considered clergy legally and in terms of taxation. Okay. And as such, you are considered self-employed. You're defined as self-employed even though you're not for Social Security and Medicare purposes. Okay. So that said, uh, the, the, simply uh, as an employee of the church, you get a W-2 form. Yes. In some cases, you might get a 1099 if it was a love offering or so on and so forth. Okay. Yeah. As that income, that is taxable for federal and state income tax. Mm -hmm. When you are ordained as clergy, you are also eligible for, if you have your own home, for a housing allowance. So what advantage is it that you take some of your income and you designate it as a housing right. allowance? Well, the, the pastor is going to determine, or the church is going to determine for the pastor or the pastor for his staff, how much total compensation they're going to receive. Sure. Part of that can be salary. Part of that can be housing allowance. We say housing allowance, and I'm not talking about those in a parsonage now, but it could be the pastor, assistant pastor, youth pastor, anybody that's ordained could get a housing allowance if they have their own home. Uh, and are purchasing their home or renting a home even for that matter. Sure. But that, that housing allowance consists of every conceivable thing that would go into purchasing or operating a home, a residence. So the housing allowance is also is not taxable, not taxable for federal or state income tax. Very important. Yeah, that's, that's because, an advantage. Because in most cases, the housing allowance is going to be larger than the salary or at least a big percentage of it. However, the housing allowance and the salary are both subject to self-employment tax because you are oh, okay. considered self-employed. Now, your income tax on your salary, not your housing allowance, and your income tax on your love offerings or any extra ministerial income may be taxed. And by the way, most ordained people, especially those on staff, they're earning less than they could in a secular industry, so sure. doing the comparable work. So usually the, the income tax is probably going to be at most 10 to 12, at most 15 percent 
of your salary mm -hmm. as income tax. In many cases, it's going to be non-existent at all because you have a number of dependents and you can claim various tax credits sure. and other deductions so you don't have any taxable income at all. Zero income tax. For many years, I paid zero income tax. But as ordained, I had to declare my salary and my housing allowance as self-employed income. That was mm. subject, David, to uh, roughly, there's a minor adjustment, 15.3% mm -hmm. of my salary and my housing allowance. And that can be a big amount. And you have to declare that on a Form SE, in addition to your normal 1040 and all the schedules that go with a 1040, you have this Form SE, declare your self-employment tax and so, income. As a, you know, so when, maybe as a young man going into the ministry, he talks with the pastor who's hiring him as a youth pastor, and he finds out how much compensation he will right. receive. This young man can take some of that compensation and use it as a housing allowance if he's buying a Correct. home. And what he needs to understand is 15% of that housing allowance, he's and, not going to actually see it will be taxed. And salary. And his yeah. salary as yeah. well. So in it's that incredible. total compensation package, since the housing allowance is not subject to income tax, but the salary is, yeah. but both are subject to self-employment tax, to the extent that the ordained clergy can do, they should maximize their housing allowance to escape the income tax sure. and minimize their salary to the extent they can. Housing allowance has some maximums. Mm -hmm. You can't spend more than uh, if you were renting a fully furnished home, et cetera, et cetera. But most people do not have to worry about that. So that's another way to at least minimize income tax, but you're still going to be stuck with that self-employment tax on your salary, any love offerings, and mm -hmm. your housing allowance. Now, having said that, that's the negative. The positive or the negative is the government does allow an ordained clergy to opt out or exempt out of Social Security and Medicare. Mm -hmm. They have to do that within 24 months of earning $400 in ministerial income. Now, they don't opt out because they uh, want to avoid the tax. They don't want to pay the 15.3%. Mm. Everybody doesn't want to pay 15.3% <laughs> tax. Yeah. They have to sign a form saying, I certify that because of my religious beliefs and convictions, etc., I'm opposed to receiving benefits from the federal government in terms of my retirement. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of people, if they're honest, and by the way, clergy should be honest, right? Sure. Really, they don't honest. They don't really object to receiving retirement benefits from the government. They just reject. They just oppose paying the tax. But they're going to sign it anyway. Now, there's some other requirements. By the way, that form 43. That's the form 4361. There's some other requirements, but that's the one you have to file. And then, while the government is reviewing your application to exempt out of Social Security and Medicare, you still have to continue paying the tax until you get a until you get a stamped form. approval. And then after that you no longer have to pay or have to set aside money for, for self-employment tax. Is that uh, exemption from pay paying Social Security tax apply to only your ministerial income? If you have, let's say, a, a man had a side job, he would still be taxed Social Security. Exactly right. If okay. you, if you, what I call really self-employed, instead of just defined by the government mm -hmm. as self-employed yeah. as clergy, if you have your own landscaping business or something else as self-employed, you're also going to have to complete a Form SE, and you're also going to have to pay self-employment tax 15.3% mm -hmm. on that. And by the way, 153 no magic with that. 
as a self-employed, you're paying 7.65% as the employer of yourself, and you're paying 7.65% as the employee. Mm -hmm. So that's where the 15.3% comes in. Now, having said that, David, sure. when I say in the good is you don't have to pay the tax if you can sign that form. Uh, and by the way, when you're completing a 1040 after you've been exempted out, mm -hmm. on the 1040, very, very important if you don't want to get audited. On, on the 1040 where it says self-employment tax, after you've been approved, you put in dash or parentheses, you say exempt dash form 4361. If you include that, that's going to be all to your favor. Then they'll just toss it in the pack and you won't be audited. And so this is just a paper form you get back from the government. Right. And you better never lose it. You ought, you ought to keep a copy in a safe deposit box, <laughs> yeah. three or four other file copies. Because yeah. on occasion, the government does lose things. And there have been pastors who have been fined uh, penalty taxes and back taxes because oh, the government did not have record of their receiving or approving the Form 4361. Oh, man. Yep. So... Are there some other dangers with being exempt from Social Security? Well, yeah, because if you if you opt out of Social Security, you're also opting out of Medicare. Okay. Okay. So, Social Security provides retirement income, mm -hmm. but it also provides survivorship income. So, if you're covered by Social Security, Social Security is going to pay your widow if you die while she has dependent children. Mm -hmm. She's going to pay. They're going to pay your widow for her family, a certain amount of monthly income based on your earnings with Social Security. If you opt out of that, you have no more survivorship income okay. for your wife. Now, the Bible says we ought to take care, you know, we're worse than an infidel if we don't care for our own. Mm -hmm. So what you need to do then, you need to buy life insurance. And by the way, 20 year or at least 20 year term, level term insurance. Don't buy anything other than that from the most competitive, cheapest companies. You need to buy at least five times your annual gross compensation, salary, housing allowance, and any miscellaneous, mm -hmm. just to make up for and approximate what Social Security would have paid. Okay. Then if you want your wife and family to enjoy a decent standard of living, you add another five times on top of that. So if you're not covered by Social Security, you need 10 times your annual gross compensation mm -hmm. in terms of life insurance. So that's just, now, also Social Security provides an income at retirement. So sure. if you survive till retirement, you don't have Social Security to rely on, so you need to do two things. One, well, let me mention, first of all, retirement. You need to invest something in a mutual fund, probably a common stock at a young age, common stock mutual fund that mirrors the S&P 500 index. And Fidelity and Vanguard can guide you through that whole process. They need to invest 6% of their annual gross income in a mutual fund for retirement just to approximate what Social Security would have provided had they been covered when they retire. Sure. Now, if you want to have a decent standard of living when you retire and for your wife, then you need to invest another 6% of your annual gross compensation. So you need to invest 12% in an investment for your retirement. Now, when I say annual, you invest it monthly. That's the best way sure. to do that. But mm -hmm. you, okay, now, then the real problem is Medicare. When you opt out of Social Security, you have no more Medicare. Yeah. So you, there's really only one solution because if you if you get to be age 65 when you're eligible for Medicare and you don't have Medicare because you opted out, yeah. you can't buy a health insurance policy from any insurance company if you're not already covered by Medicare. Yeah. So you do two th one of two things. Well, two things. One, you can say, well, I'm a ward of the government and I'll apply for Medicaid, just like people mm -hmm. who are on welfare apply for that. Mm -hmm and I'm not saying anything negative about that, that's an alternative. Not a good alternative because there are some very bad restrictions having to do with Medicaid. Sure. The better deal is to work at least 40 quarters, 10 years, in a secular job of any kind where you're an employee or self-employed that is subject 
to Social Security and Medicare tab, this, the 15.3%. And you pay 7.65%. If you have those 10 years of earnings credited to your account, then you can retire. When you get to be 65, you can get Medicare, even if your earnings under that secular job, part-time, minimal hours, low earnings, mm -hmm. even if it was very low, you're still eligible for Medicare. So that's what I recommend. Work a side job, part-time or whatever, at least to accumulate 40 calendar quarters of secular work so you can get Medicare at retirement. So just to recap that, um, so if some uh, some minister out there ordained minister is exempt from Social Security, they need to be doing something. You're saving the money. You're not paying that 15% anymore, but you better be paying that 15% somewhere else. Yep, exactly you right. got to be taking that money that right. you would have put in Social Security exactly and put right. it in some kind of fund. Yes, exactly right. And then on top of that, you're suggesting that, hey, maybe you work a part-time job for 40 yes. quarters or 10 mm -hmm. years. Yep. That way you can be qualified for Medicare exactly benefits. Exactly right. I, I did something similar to that. I worked you know, in a tutoring uh -huh. uh, facility Great. for sure. 10 years. It, a couple hours each night, not yep. even all nights of the week, maybe two or three right. nights a week, but I had secular employment going on mm -hmm. and you know, qualified me for those sure. 40 hours. Oh yeah, exactly. So, all right, so that is really unusual. And yeah. a lot of people who work normal secular employment this is whoosh over their head. They don't exactly get it. Right. And unfortunately, a lot of pastors or full-time Christian workers, mm -hmm. whoosh, it's over their exactly head as well. Right. Yep. So what other things are out there that they need to be aware of when it comes to taxes and okay. compensation? As ordained, again, and to some extent, you can push the envelope and say any worker in a church. Mm -hmm. But as an ordained clergy, you can go to the church, in this case, go to your pastor, or the pastor goes to the church for a vote. And you can say, you know what? I would like to, because I'm eligible to do this, I would like to reduce my salary. And what I would like to reduce my salary by is the amount of my tithes, the amount of my offerings, the amount of my giving to missions, the amount of my giving to building fund. I'd like to subtract that, take a reduction in my pay for the amount that I would have paid under salary. And by the way, when you tithe and give 10% uh, gross, mm -hmm. that's your salary and your housing allowance and your love offerings and any other income. So what you do then, let's say you're earning let's say $30,000 to use a figure, mm -hmm. uh, and you would normally tithe uh, $3,000 on that, but let's say you're gonna give offerings over and above, so $5,000. So you'd say, I tell you what, instead of $30,000, I'd like to earn $25,000. The church uses that $25, puts that in a separate account, and every week it transfers that amount to my tithes and offering. Got so it. instead of my taxable income being, let's say 30,000, my taxable income is now $25,000. So you have an advantage there. So I lose. Yeah. I don't have to pay as much income tax. I'm going to save my tax bracket time my giving. That's another okay. very valuable benefit. That's pretty neat. Exactly. A lot of pastors, they preach out yes, um, and they receive love offerings from mm -hmm. uh, churches and things like that. What are some of the dangers associated with that? I'm sure that some pastors might get caught at the end of a year having received a bunch of love offerings and, oh man, I forgot. I spent all that. Yeah. <laughs> now I got to pay taxes on the money I spent, yeah. and, I don't, and it's gone. You know. Well, if a church is doing right, or a camp, or anybody who is going to compensate the pastor sure. for his for his preaching, uh, for his conference or whatever, uh, if he is paid more than I think six hundred dollars, not counting expense along, travel and, and, and things like that, but for the preaching, the honorarium mm -hmm. itself, six hundred dollars more in a given year, they are supposed to send out a ten ninety nine to that pastor or that ordained person as evidence that they've received this much love offering. Okay. The pastor needs to include that 
1099 income in his taxable income on his 1040 form. Usually it's located as miscellaneous income, mm -hmm. could be under some other category. Now some churches that don't do that, don't send out 1099s, pastor can say, whoa, government doesn't know that I got this much because they don't have a 1099 copy on file. Mm -hmm. That's just gravy to me. That's up to him if he wants to declare that or not. I'm just saying you and your own conscience <laughs> and the Lord determine whether you're going to be honest or not. I always, you know what, yeah. I, I always err on the side of caution, the abundance of caution, as they say, and I would tithe on that. So the question well. is, do you like to pay your taxes more than you like to go to prison? <laughs> well, if you're ever audited, that's big problems, if you're ever audited. Now, in my personal finance class, as well as church finance class, um, my wife also accuses me in personal finance class of, you know, way over here, nobody lives like that. When you say, never do this, never do this, always do this. I said, well, like preacher preaches. If I preach over here and the line is here where you should not cross, if I'm over here, if I can get you at least to stay this side of the line, that's okay. Yeah. So I always err on this side of conservatism because I want people to be safe and I want them to maintain a good testimony for themselves, for the Lord, for the church, uh, and so on. I just think that's right to do is to be honest regardless. All right. Well, I think we're about out of time. So uh, appreciate all the sure. advice that you gave. Um, it probably blew some people's minds, I think, because they didn't even realize what was going on with their taxes uh, when it comes to being an ordained minister. Uh -huh. uh, and so I appreciate that. And sure. your, your advice through the years has certainly helped me for sure. Oh, good. Yeah. You know where I am. Avoid the pitfalls. Avoid the danger. Exactly yes, right. All right. If you would like to see our other conversations with Dr. Anderson, you can go to the description below and check out the links there and see our other conversations. Thanks so much for tuning in.